mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is God's word. Thanks, man. Hey, Ashley, can you remain standing while we pray? Thank you. Lord Jesus, uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit would, um, would encourage us right now that you will make clear your glory, uh, who you are, what you've done, um, who we are in light of you, and would you give us um, ears to hear. Uh, we just pray that you would not allow us to continue on in our flesh and our folly. Um, Lord, pray that we would uh, be rejoicing because of the reality of you um, being alive and what that means for us. And we pray, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would guide me. Would you speak through me, Lord? Would you use your words for your own accord, your own honor? Uh, we admit as a covenant community that apart from you, I'm just up here talking and trying to motivate people in the flesh. And we, need, um, we don't need a movement in the flesh. We need a movement in the spirit uh, for you to touch men and to allow them to see wow, why you are worth their life. So we pray for that, Lord. We love you, and we we exalt you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Thanks, guys. Have a seat. Uh, as a at MacAv, what we try to do is no matter what text we're using, we always um, want to read the Easter story, um, the story of the resurrection, uh, so you can get a glimpse of what's. What's happened in history, if you've never heard, uh, it's a very popular story, so I don't want to assume anything, but, but we love to just uh, give a big pericope of the resurrection story. That was found um, uh, in, in Luke, so you can check that out in your own time and hopefully rehash that, read that as a family, read that as individuals. Um, so excited about our time right now, just being able to sing out to the Lord. I uh, hope you guys, if you need pens or pencils, raise your hand. If you need Bibles, uh, you can raise your hand, and, and Pastor Leon will pass those out to you. Uh, we'll be entering into a, a text today and seeing what God says about uh, him rising from the dead. We, we all get the fact um, 
as a believer or an unbeliever in our community, right, that Easter uh, is, is the most important Christian holiday uh, for us. Without the resurrection, um, uh, basically, we, we, it says in the scriptures that our faith is futile, and what, what we're doing right here, um, we should be laughed at, the scriptures say, okay? Um, so, and so what I wanted to do today, uh, when it was talking about toward the end of that passage, it talked about the prophets. And so what I wanted to do uh, was, to, was to look at uh, actually what happens when we talk about the resurrection um, uh, many years even before it happened. Did you know that the resurrection was basically the whole resurrection and Easter was actually proclaimed and talked about uh, many hundreds of years before uh, it happened on the day that we are used to uh, discussing when we look at John 20 and Luke 24. About, about 700 years before uh, Jesus actually set foot on earth, uh, it was discussed. And so I want to look at that passage in Isaiah chapter 53. So if you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. And what we're going to do today is we're going to just fix our eyes um, on the resurrection of Jesus as is described by the prophet Isaiah. Um, Years before it happened, to a broken people, kind of like us, and I think I think we have some things in common because uh, both those who experienced the resurrection uh, before Jesus actually did it, and both those who experienced the resurrection after He was there, and you weren't an eyewitness, uh, we all have to uh, uh, do something that uh, the scriptures say is very hard. We have to have faith. So we'll be discussing that today. And here's what I want you to ask yourself. Does the resurrection really matter? Does it matter? Ask yourself that question. And while we're asking that question, I mean, we can't just talk about the resurrection in, a, in, a, in, in an isolated fashion. We need to talk about the story. So we're going we're gonna to flow through the story so you can really understand why it's important. And then I want to ask a few questions. Okay, so let's look at the history real quick. And always understand something, even as we talk about prophets, Isaiah was a, a prophet, meaning that he told the truth about God to the people of his day, specifically the Israelites, okay? And, and the goal of a prophet, a lot of times we can think the goal of a prophet is to share facts and allow people to understand facts. But really the goal of a prophet, although they're a truth teller, there's a goal to the desire of telling the truth. The goal of a prophet, and for us even, as we are prophets for God, as it were, truth tellers, is to see the Lord use us to see faith produced, the goal isn't just information. The goal is for people to see who Christ is and to want to worship him, right? And so here we are uh, in Isaiah chapter 53, and he's, um, in, throughout the chapters, um, he's been discussing this reality of a, of a rescuer, of a rescuer needed by uh, broken people. Uh, someone who can bring them uh, from their despair. They've been conquered by many different lands. Uh, they're right now being conquered and so they're wanting to know, how long is this going to happen? All right? And notice, notice the story. Notice what's going on when we talk about this, this servant person. Because we're on this side of the resurrection, I'm, I'm going to tell you who he is, and we know who he is, is Jesus. But I want you to see how they see and don't see him, and see if there's any kind of correlation with us today. All right? It starts off, remember, these are people who are thinking, man, this rescue is going to come. Someone's going to come and deliver us. There must be more uh, to life than this. They're thinking that, right? Uh, just like many of us, just like all of us, whether you're a believer or unbeliever, you're hoping that life just isn't about you going to work every day. You're hoping there has to be something more than that. And so he starts in verse 1 of 53. It says, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
Isn't that interesting? You know why he asked that question? You know why? Because he's shocked. That's a shock statement. He's shocked because of what he's going to say about this servant. Because when you think of a deliverer, when you think of someone who's powerful, who's going to lead people, uh, you'll think that the person would be powerful. You'll think that the person would have pizzazz, would be a dominating force, right? Would be a forceful person, attractive person, a person with magnetism, that he would draw people to himself. I mean, usually when you have someone who leads people, uh, they're kind of dynamic in their, in their approach, right? And if they're not, right, if you don't follow them, they'll kind of cast you to the side. That's what happens when we were in high school and junior high. You have the popular people and you have the unpopular people. The popular person is the one who usually can speak the loudest or do a certain sport or something like that. And he attracts or she attracts the people. And if you're not down with them, they kind of cast you off to the side as if you don't even exist. Those are usually our, our mindsets when we think of a deliverer, when we think of someone who can bring people. And so his statement here in verse 1 is like, who has believed our message? He's kind of surprised. He's saying that the rescuer, Jesus, this servant, is going to look like this. Right? This man doesn't fit the picture at all. We're not drawn to this man. In fact, as we see in the gospel stories that you just read, he was crucified. It's not that we're not just drawn to him. We're repulsed by him. This Jesus, who claims to be God, people did not like him. In fact, he was repulsed, and they said, crucify him. He continues on to prove his point. Look at verse 2. Look at what it says in the scriptures. It says, he grew up before him like a tender shoot, right? And like a root out of dry ground. You see that? It's a sense of like, this rescuer, this servant, he's supposed to burst on the scene like a huge oak tree. That's how, you, that's how it happens usually when you get a deliverer. You're powerful, right? You're strong. But look what it says. It says, no, this guy is kind of like a tender shoot, right? It's this, he has no beauty. There's no, there's no majesty. There's nothing to stare at and to be attracted to. There's no appearance that you would desire. He's like, a, he's like one of those suckers on the trees. You ever had those? We had one in the middle of our yard. We, we had, it's, it's when you have a tree and then there's little things that come out of the tree and they're kind of annoying, right? And you, and you spend time just trying to get rid of them because they're annoying. That's the picture he gives us. He gives us a picture of this annoying, these little suckers that come out of a, of, a, of a root. But he doesn't just give us that picture. He couples the picture of an annoying, this weird little plant with a plant that seems like it's going to die. You see what he says in the scriptures here? He says he grew up like a root out of a dry ground. He's imagined of a desert. So you got this annoying little thing, right? And that root in itself usually never dies. You, you keep trying to kill it. But he marries that picture with the picture of an annoying root that's kind of frail and weak. And people look at it and go, what's that? That's going to do something? That's your king? That's why you come on Sunday and sing? That's why you be faithful? That's why you tell that little thing? It looks like it's about to die. Really? It looks more like a plant that's struggling, right? It says a plant that's struggling, an exposed root to a tree. See, he's already setting a picture. He's saying that this savior, this deliverer, on the surface, that's not where his splendor is. His splendor is not on the surface. And in fact, what happens a lot of times is that if you think you're going to find his splendor on the surface, you're going to miss him. That's important. 
The one interesting thing about Christianity is it's a non-flamboyant faith. He ain't trying to be out here. People say all the time, I was talking to a guy about Jesus the other day, and he said to me, he said, well, just tell, tell Jesus to show me something. Right? You ever heard that? You talk to an unbeliever, and they want you, they, you know what they're saying there? I'm God. See, Jesus needs to prove himself worthy of worship. That's what he's saying to me. But then I thought about Isaiah 53 and thought, no, 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 you don't get it. See, when you think like that, it's kind of like being in a big old concert. And you got all these thousands of people. And you guess what? With that kind of mindset where you want everybody to picture you and to do something for you, you can scan out into the crowd and there's Jesus and you just missed him. Because he ain't trying to be like that. I think there's a bad picture when we try to say, oh, no, Jesus, he'll prove himself to you. He'll prove himself to you. I would say the Gospels don't teach that. The Gospels say, if you don't really want to see me, if you are passionate about seeing the Savior, if you won't look in the cracks and say, is that my king? You'll miss him. I think it's different. So he's kind of like, wow, who has believed this message? His splendor is inside. People don't pay him any attention. It says in verse 3, right? It says, he was despised and rejected by mankind. You see that in the verse? A man of suffering and familiar pain, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and he held, we held him in low esteem. Now, Eric, this is Resurrection Sunday. Why are we stand at the cross? Because we have to understand who Jesus is before we start talking about why it was important for him to rise. Look at what he says here. He was despised. We take the word despised and we've, we've changed. Don't get it twisted. It's different in the first century than it is now today. And that's why words always find their meaning in context. Now, in, a, in this time, 700 years before Jesus, like for us, despised has a lot of emotion to it, right? We say despised has a lot of emotion. To the Hebrew, it was actually the opposite. The, the, the weight of the word was actually this, it's lack of emotion. The weight of despised is kind of like, we paid him no attention. Who? What? Where is he? What are you talking about? Oh, excuse, excuse me, Jesus, man. I'm, so, I'm over here. I'm trying to do this. The word despise is actually found to have its weight because it has a sense of like, there's no emotion. You're unworthy of attention. That's the guy? That's the servant? Hmm. See, he's seen as a loser. And I don't know about y'all, but the last time I checked, it's usually losers can't save losers. Right? The arm of the Lord will deliver the Lord's people. Okay. But guess what? It's met. That reality is met with shock in the beginning of these verses. It's met with distaste. It's met with dismissal and avoidance. This is the rescuer. People are like, what's going to happen? Isn't this true? Isn't this what happened in the first century? Isn't this what he was met with? Isn't this what he's met with today by many of us? Kind of like, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead, but he has absolutely no bearing on my life, on my day-to-day life. Do I make a decision based on the resurrection? It says in verse 4, 
It changes a little bit. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, right? Yet we, we, we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, right? It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Guess what? There's a little change all of a sudden. We just dogged this savior, this servant. Who is he? What is he? Man, I can't even really see him. And all of a sudden it says, we, we look at him, we go, man, poor, messed up, jacked up dude. And all of a sudden it changes in verse four where we go, oh, he's poor and messed up and jacked up. Not because of who he is, right? In in ancient Near Eastern, you know who you are. If you're messed up and you're poor and you're it's because you did something, right? You in that state because you deserved it, because this is what you did, dot, dot, dot. You deserve to have whatever's come upon you. But verse 4 changes things a little bit because it says he's those things because of us. You see that? Oh, surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. We consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. We consider God putting all this stuff on him, but actually, he was pierced for our transgressions. It wasn't like he was just a bad dude. Oh, he's a bad dude because he had to be a bad dude because he had to save us. He was crushed for our iniquities. It wasn't just that's who he was. Don't get it twisted. Jesus doesn't live his life with us. He doesn't die right, with us. He dies for us, right? He lives for us. There's a huge difference. So all of a sudden, can you imagine you 700 years before the Savior, you start realizing, oh, he's not just like this, oh, but he is doing something for us. There's a little change there where it's not his own fault, as we assumed earlier, his, his life. And notice the contrast throughout the verses, guys. Notice the contrast between him and us. Over and over again in the verses, right? Of what he did and why he did it and what we're about. Oh. And if there's any theme in, that, in those passages, I would say, man, that God's goodness is more powerful than evil. Man, that in the midst of us dogging him and ridiculing him and seeing him, is like, oh, I don't even know who that guy is. He's still good. And he still does this for us. Huh. He keeps on. He's painting this picture. We all, like sheep, verse 6, it says in the scriptures, guys, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. Right? I love the picture of sheep here. Because usually when you look at sheep, sheep do two things. Look at the contrast. Man, he's talking about the, the Holy Spirit writing this stuff. Look at this. So sheep do two things, right? They're either, they get lost. Right? That's us. That's sinners. That's what we do. We walk around stupid and we get lost, right? We have an audacity to think we're our own guys. And then you have the servant. He's like a sheep too, but he didn't get lost. He's a sheep in the sense of his non-defensiveness, his submissive nature. You see that? Now, it sets a case, you know, that there's a consequence, right? We all like sheep that have gone astray. Well, there's supposed to be a problem. Well, that's a problem, right? We've turned our own way, Right? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sheep, you've gone astray. You turn your own way, you're going to get it. Uh oh. But he was oppressed, verse 7, and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. You see it again? We deserve the punishment. We're the sinners. We have the wrath upon us. And yet it says, who took it? Jesus. 
He didn't open his mouth. He didn't say, you see what I'm doing for you? He didn't go there. It says in the scriptures, family, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not even open his mouth. Verse 8 says, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? Who came to his side? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. You see that? He didn't fight. Right? He was willing to do it. I love his sovereignty there. If I, when I think of that little part, I would say, man, you see, God's love is more powerful than hate. Here we are. We deserve wrath. We deserve destruction. It says very clearly there, but God's love covers that where he says, no, instead, I am going to save you. Verse 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. It didn't stop there. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. You see that? We move from submission. He didn't say nothing, right? He keeps it. No, I'm going to keep it tight. We move from submission to innocence. It's not just he was guilty, but just didn't say nothing. He was innocent. He didn't deserve what had happened to him. And he didn't even open his mouth. He didn't say a word. Well, he did. He said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Look at that. See, what, what is the picture the author wants us to understand? He wants us to understand, hey, guess what? See, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. You get that? It's the definition of who you are. You're evil. And your evil has fallen upon the innocent one. Now, you obviously get to that point, guys, and you're like, okay, well, why is he doing this? How is he doing it? I just love this passage. It's one of the clearest passages of the gospel. And that's why we're reading it. And look what he says in the scriptures here. It says, verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. This is good news, y'all. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand, verse 11. And he has suffered. He will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteousness, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. See, see, see the sacrifice is made. You see that? Meaning, what Jesus does is he comes and he actually suffers the condemnations of all sins ever committed. That's what he does for you and me. Right? And now you can, de- you can declare right, uh, his righteousness yours as he offers it to you. So basically, the Christian life, what we do, if you didn't notice and you hear, is that basically we look at Jesus' life, his life is offered to us, and then we take Jesus' life, right, and then we offer it back up to God as a sacrifice for our sin. That's what we do. That's what, that's, 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 that's what, that's substitution, right, that's substitutionary atonement, right? That's what it means, is that God pays for our sin, and we give God the perfect sacrifice in Jesus and not ourselves. That's what Christians do. 
And look what it tells us in the scripture. It says, and there's three acts of, of triumph here, right? That we see, we see triumph three times, right? We, we receive um, the sense of offspring, right? That he, he's going to have brothers and sisters. He's gonna, his days will be prolonged. Why? Because when he rises from the dead, he won't die again. You see that? And he'll see the light of life. And it says in verse 12, 12, therefore I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong. A picture here, I love this. Uh, let me continue on first. Because he poured out his life until death, that's why he's going to get this, and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercessions for the transgressors. I love this picture of death being like you break into, you, he broke into the house of death. He took death, you know, and then just began to pass it out to the people of God. It's like plunder. As spoils, right? That's the picture. And then what be- the beautiful thing that happens is that we, our, our king gets a victor's crown, and then we get a crown with him, right? So we are in sin. We deserve destruction. Jesus, as this menial, weird servant comes, lives a perfect life on our behalf, then dies for, for us, then sacrifices his life on our behalf, gives his life to us, then he's risen from the dead and he receives what it says, all things because of who he now is that we see that has been validated because of the cross and resurrection. And we stand here now with a choice. Now let me ask you a question. That's the gospel. And Jesus being everything and we being recipient of his grace. Now here is the question. How does that affect your life today? Right? The question I have, because people will say, man, Eric, I, I, I believe in a resurrection. Right? We're in a community. Yeah, I, I hear the resurrection. Praise the Lord. The Lord rose from the dead. Happy Easter. He's risen indeed. Yeah, he's risen. Right? But you know what, guys? Can we, be, can we, can we keep it real? I think one of the main issues that I am praying for in our community is that we will figure out a way to understand that contrary to popular belief, the resurrection matters to your everyday life. Because here's why I say that. Because I think deep inside, people are not worshiping Jesus because at the end of the day, they think, you know what? I don't know how that really matters to what I do every day. It just seems like a lot of theology. How does this help me pay my bills? I talk to brothers who, you know, who basically in so many words say, man, yeah, I love Jesus, but man, I got to go hustle. You know, what makes you think like that? Why? Because you really think Jesus is not going to take care of you. You got to do your own thing, right? 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 What makes us cheat on our spouses, right? What makes, what makes us, right, get, get anxious and begin to withdraw from community, right? What, what makes us get anxious and, and start to do things that are deceitful, for the, for the name of paying bills and, and taking care of your, your children, right? What makes you stop doing things that you know God has asked you to be about as, as his people because of you name a scenario, right? I mean, I did school. I have a lot of education by God's grace, and I just found myself many times get caught up. Oh, my goodness, I can't, I can't be with the people of God because I got an exam. What makes, what makes me do that? Does the resurrection matter? Does it matter even about that exam you got? What about your girlfriend? What about your boyfriend? Why do you think we worship people? 
Why do you think our heart, why do you think our, our, our worlds get destroyed when someone breaks up with us? Hmm? Why? Why, why do, why, why is the culture in our, in our neighborhood, in our na- in my neighbors, why, why is there this, you know, you go down to pay the light bill and you're scared. Why? Because everyone's mean mugging, right? Why is everybody looking at you like this? Right? And then, you know what? Instead of saying, man, well, okay, let me, let me, let me, let me respond the way the Lord wants me to respond because the resurrection matters. I'm going to look back at him like that. Right? So we're going to stand, you're going to have an attitude, I'm going to have an attitude, and I'm going to show you, hey, I ain't soft. What's up? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Y'all know it's true. Why? How does the resurrection help me from, from not losing my home? It's hard out here. How does resurrection matter to a mom or a dad who just gives up, man, and, and gives her kids away? It stops paying the bills. Finds themselves worshiping and, and grabbing hold of alcohol and saying, hey, I deserve a break too. Don't I deserve a break? Does the resurrection matter to him? I spent my whole life sacrificing my kids for my kids. Don't I, don't I deserve a break? At the core of all this, guys, I say that to you because I'm convinced. I don't see how Jesus rises from the dead. This is what we're thinking. I don't see how Jesus rises from the dead is going to help me now. So I see no need to live for him now. But in my mind, I will live for him later when he helps me later. And I think, I wonder if we live practically like that. We say, you know what? When he comes back, I'll be sold out. But until then, I got to get mine. How do we do it? How do we live moment by moment, day by day, where you see that woman, that guy believes that the resurrection is applied to his life now. And he lives like it now. Moment by moment, day by day. I have a ton of ways. There's a lot of lies we're believing because of how we think about the resurrection. I just want to talk about two movements that we see in the text that we just looked at. And then we're going to go home, okay? There's two things I want you to digest that I would say will help you understand how to live day by day like the resurrection matters. First, the resurrection matters for you and me because the resurrection says that Jesus is sovereign. That Jesus is sovereign. Uh, I don't know if you know what that means. When I say sovereign, that means that Jesus has the power he claims he said he has. That he is the creator of all things. The scriptures say created, uncreated things, that nothing happens in our existence apart from God's hand. Nothing. That God has you, he is all-powerful, that there's nothing going on that he's not totally aware of, he's not some deistic guy sitting out here just kind of looking at you and asking, asking you to hustle and have your way, but he is intimately involved in your life while he's taking care of the total cosmos. That's what sovereignty means. And you know, the funny thing is, this is me and this is all of us. You know how we know we don't believe that? Because we try in our very hilarious, futile, foolish ways to try to protect our life and store up our stuff. And, and just we put up these safeguards and we really have the audacity to think that those things matter. As if if God didn't want to kill you today, you wouldn't be dead. 
I mean, people die from the craziest things. Cats mowing their lawn and, a, and some weird rock comes and hits them in the head and he dies. I have a friend, 36 years old, nothing, they still don't know how he died, dropped dead. Two of his twin girls, seven years old, 36 years old, they don't have to understand what happened to him. He's gone. You guys all have stories like that too. You have stories in your past where you're thinking, if that would have just happened a little bit this way, I'll be dead. And you know what? You or me, we haven't given God the praise. We think, well, I'm just glad I had on Air Jordans that day. Right? Versus realizing there's been so many times, I know in my own life, where I should be gone. And you know what I'm convinced of? You know what I'm convinced of? People go, well, how do you still smile? I'm convinced of God's sovereignty in my life. Convinced of it. The illusion, your illusion, thinking you're saving your dollars and you're going to do it and you're going to protect yourself and you're going to, it's it's ridiculous. I think you know that. Practically fending for yourself in an evil world where you have Satan, you have demons, you have death, right? And you have your own flesh. It's futile to think you're defending yourself from all that. You might as well, you're hilarious. That's crazy, right? You can't protect yourself from all these diseases and marriages. Cancer. That's what I love. I'm telling you guys something. The beauty of how a broken world, what God has done, if you think, no, but I, I'm doing good. I, I, you know, I mean, you, if you know my personal journey, you know my family are super healthy. Do you think I got my trust in the greens mix? Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Diseases, people, man, a friend of mine, has, I don't know if it was even someone in this room, got cancer and in nine days got cancer and found out he had cancer and died. In nine days! Can you imagine that? They went to the doctor and thought, well, how long do you think they're going to have? Maybe a month. Can you imagine somebody telling you this week you, just said, you think everything's cool? You go to the doctor and they tell you, dude, you might have a month. Nine days. Guys, here's what I'm saying. We need a sovereign Lord. When you see that, and you realize that your defense is futile, that that's why every one of us, one out of one people die. Why? Because no matter how cool you think you are, no matter how much money you think you are, no matter what the things you think you do to protect yourself, all of us start to decay, and our, and our legs start to hurt, and our back starts to hurt, and our neck starts to hurt, and all of a sudden you start to realize you're frail. You can't protect yourself. The only reason God does that and allows it to have that time frame, he's hoping to build brokenness into you and me to see we need a sovereign God. The other thing, so God's sovereignty. But man, God's mercy. When we, when we have a grip of God's sovereignty, that he's all-powerful, and then we see God's mercy. Ephesians 2, what is mercy? Mercy is pity. Mercy is when you look on something, and you go, mm, 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 what is going on there? You just kind of feel sorry for it. 
And mercy, you can't, people try to separate mercy and grace and love. It, it, they seem to be, it seems kind of interwoven, right? You seem that there's some sense of like that love, there's a, there's a, for the great love for which he loved us, the scriptures say, that, that motivates mercy. Because of his love, he has pity on you and me, right? Can I give you a quick, let me give you a quick story? It's kind of like this. Have you ever uh, heard it said, this was like uh, another preacher was preaching this, but this happened for real in my life. Imagine you on a block, right, and then you get in a fight. You and, you, it's you and your boy, and y'all, um, and then four dudes come up, all right, and then they start wanting to fight y'all. They start beating y'all down. You run, okay? You run. All of a sudden, uh, later that day, you see your boy, bloody, you know, bloodshot eye, right, bloody nose, jaw looking like he is broken. And he comes up to you, barely can talk, and he says, Man, I'm glad you got away. I'm glad you're all right. You okay? What would be your response? Right? See what you're feeling right there? That's mercy. He should have been upset with you. Why'd you run? But instead, he had pity on you. He was concerned about your well-being. That's mercy. That's what the father did for his people. He could have been concerned about himself, but he wasn't. Don't you, I tell you, people, you know, people think about why you cry at church. And the reason why people cry at church is because. Mercy, it breaks sinners' hearts. And when you truly receive mercy, it just breaks your heart. And by his mercy... He takes away our sin. And in his sovereignty, he guides us to bring him glory. And I'll tell you something. The reason why those are so important, the reason why the resurrection matters, guys, because can you imagine having a merciful God who has that pity? He has that feeling for you. He loves you. But he doesn't have the power to protect you. Mercy without sovereignty without protecting me from evil and Satan and my own self and my stupidity and my flesh and death? What is mercy if you feel for me, but you have no power to help me? What is sovereignty without mercy? Can you imagine having a sovereign, all-powerful, all-cosmotic God who says, I control all things. It's under my realm and way, and I'm absolutely merciless. Guess what happens? You have just lost hope. Because that God is going to destroy you because you deserve to be destroyed. He will destroy me. That God who says I'm all powerful because of that, guess what? Merciless guys don't die for people. That's the whole point of mercilessness is that you show I have no mercy. You deserve this, you will get it. 
The beauty of the resurrection and why it matters to you and me and it should matter every day is because we have a God who's not also fully sovereign where he can take care of death, he takes care of Satan, he takes care of sin, he takes care of our flesh, but he's also absolutely merciful where he looks on you and me and he has pity and motivated by his love, he brings them together to save you and me and give you and me a new life in a new world. The resurrection matters. The resurrection matters. You see what your sovereign Lord did and why he did it? It's for his glory. See, when you think of that concept now, every aspect of your life should be different. The way you view every aspect of your life, the way you view fellowship now is not about just me hanging with a bunch of Christians because that's what Christians do, right? It's about being around the family of God because God has said you're part of a new family and there's a new way of doing life and there's a new world and now you get to know how to operate in my new world. The resurrection matters. You see that? Now, I don't read the Bible like a religious Pharisee. I don't read it because that's what good Christians do. I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to be nice, and I'm going to be good, and I'm going to cheat on my wife. We don't do that anymore. That's not the reason, because the resurrection matters. Now, God has said, oh, you didn't know who you were before because you were dead. But now, because of my grace and my mercy, I have bought you and brought you alive, and I've now shown you who you are. You're my son. You're created as a prince. You're called to tell the world who I am, to show them how I treat my stuff and how you can enjoy my stuff. Go do that. So now I read the Bible just to understand, okay, what does it look like how to operate as his new prince? I get to understand God's story and my place in it. See, that's different. The resurrection matters. Now quiet times are different. Now hanging out with Christians are different. Now I understand why I come on Sunday and we sing songs to a dude that we ain't never seen. Because they didn't find a body and the resurrection matters. Now marriage is not just about sex, right? But now we get to retell God's story to a world who thinks that they're their own God, who doesn't have that sovereignty God who loves them that just is saying they haven't, they haven't given their lives to them, so they're walking around being their own gods, destroying themselves. And we get to have an opportunity through our relationships and through our marriages to show them what does it look like to model Jesus and to see Jesus' love and to see his sacrificial nature. The resurrection matters. Do you see that, guys? Now money is not simply to show how much stuff you got, to gratify your sinful desires, to be worshiping money. But now it's a tool to further God's mission and to enjoy his creation. It matters. It changes everything. It changes your view of church. See, now, see, now it changes depression. Why you, you, you being depressed? No, the resurrection matters. See, what he did in you and through you, now you should be looking with, the, with that lens. And God now can do a healing redemptively because this is not just theology, guys. He gives his life so we can take his life and offer it to God. He rises for us. In your own time, look at verse 12. Look at what he says there. He gives us a picture of why he does it. He doesn't just do it for his sake alone. Don't miss that. Verses 10 through 12 doesn't just talk about for his sake alone. I'm high reform. You know, I'm serious about the glory of God being solely about him and what he's about. But look what it says there. Look what it says in the scriptures. It says, he will see it and be satisfied. See what? He will see, basically, those saints, those offspring, those people, worshiping him, walking around, talking about the goodness of his glory, who he is. 
the triumphs that he's made. And it says Jesus will be satisfied. Guess what? Jesus is satisfied when we are enjoying him, when we're being who we're called to be, when we're realizing that we're walking as if the resurrection matters. Mm. Please hear this, guys. He rises from the dead triumphant, showing us it matters with great mercy, right, that he saves. And that's what I love, is that mercy screams, right, it screams the reality of his death. And sovereignty screams the reality of his resurrection. That, that man, he had mercy to die for us, but he was sovereign to get up. And that's our Lord. Please ask yourself, how do you live today? Not just being emotional, but how do you live today saying, today I want to learn how to practically live like the resurrection matters, moment by moment in my life. And I want you to start by worshiping, singing songs like he's alive. All right? When we sing, I want you to shout out for your Jesus. Second, I want you to commit to, to plugging in to a covenant community. If you're not in, a, in an area where people are telling you about Jesus, you need to come to Macav and you need to grow in your faith, and you need to be a man and woman who's proclaiming Christ in this community, and you're learning how to do that. I want to I implore you, partner and lock arms with us so we can proclaim a clear gospel in this community. I want to ask you to consider that. If you haven't come to faith yet, I want to ask you, don't think you need to jump through hoops. You don't need to walk down here. There's no act except for God doing a flesh work in your heart, him making your heart of stone a heart of flesh. He does it by grace. He does it in his power. And all he asks you to do is submit and say, I had the audacity to think I was my own king. Lord, I want to confess my sins. I, don't want, to, I want to repent of my sins. I want to receive your forgiveness, and I trust that you're going to be my savior. God says he saves you, and you become his child or daughter. Right? That's the joy of the resurrection. We're going to sing right now. I want to encourage you guys as we sing out.